Good morning, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> All doing super well. All right. Well, we are going to do a little bit of worship. You guys can stand up.
Thank you so much for, for laying yourself down. Man, I think that's such a powerful picture, God, of, of you making that sacrifice and, and thinking about us as you did it. And thank you so much for your sacrifice and for laying yourself down and putting your, your treasure in, in us in jars of clay. Um, let us worship you, Lord, with this, this last song that we're going to do here. And, um, just allow this time to allow us to just focus in on you and not forget why we're here and not just make this another Sunday morning where we just 
come in and, and, and listen to a message and go and leave. But Lord, let us be changed in whatever way that you need us to be. Um, God, we, we need you so much in our lives. And thank you so much that we are able to, to come to a place like this and worship you because I know a lot of people are not in the world. So thank you so much for, for all of your, your blessings and your grace for us, Lord. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him
sideline to keep them from going all the way to the greatest depravity of their heart, but it keeps drawing them back to the nature and character of God. And then the Davidic covenant, we actually see God promise a, 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 an eternal king, a perfect eternal king with no conditions on David or mankind. There was no conditions given in that covenant. He just promises he's going to do it. And then in Jeremiah 31, 31, and we know through Scripture in the New Testament, we see that Christ fulfills that reality. And so this morning, we're going to take a few minutes and look at this new covenant more carefully. And my hope is that, that you were encouraged, as I have been encouraged this week, in my faith and, and in just the grand view of God's plan in Christ. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Now, two of the key things we're going to look at uh, in, in this particular covenant, the, one of the key ones is that he says he's going to write his law on their heart. He's going to actually write it in their hearts, and they're going to know him in such a way that they won't actually teach one another. They, don't, they won't have that relationship where it says, come and know the Lord, because they will know him. He will be indwelling them personally. We see this fulfilled in uh, the, the new covenant in Christ. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 1, Paul's actually describing this to the Corinthian church and, and expressing this reality that's showing up in their lives. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to, commend, uh, beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the spirit, uh, excuse me, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul's describing for the Corinthian church this reality that the written law of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life is the evidence of this new covenant, it's the truth that is there. It's one of the things that we see in other parts of Scripture. We won't look at all of them today. But when we look at our lives and we recognize the change, I mean, let's just be honest. How many of us have graduated from eating our food with our hands? Okay, that might be a bad illustration. In our lives, we see ourselves improving in how we, how we interact with people, how, how we behave. Uh, there, there's social improvements that we all go through. There's things that we teach all of us, hopefully, in, in most scenarios in life, that we do better. Uh, we interact better with others in public. We, we, we do eat better <laughs> in restaurants, hopefully. 
But when there's heart change, when there's transformation of, of the deepest parts of our hearts where we begin to love people that we don't love, when we begin to exercise forgiveness and grace when it's not required of us by the, by the circumstances around us, when God actually begins to transform our hearts and we read Scripture and it begins to change us from within, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The, the fruit that we see of in Galatians chapter 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the evidence of His presence in us. And it reveals this, this, the, the promise of this new covenant. Uh, we actually see this continued, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Paul's again encouraging the Corinthian church early on. He says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He literally expresses this value that we are the very dwelling place of God as new believers and that he dwells in us. I don't know if we spend much time thinking about that. My sister uh, describes times of riding with me in my car. As having been scary enough that God may have been concerned. Do we really think about the fact that God's indwelling us in all the things that we do? Do we wrestle with that when we're when we're struggling with our with with temptations and sin and 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 the hard things in our lives? Do we actually stop and, and remember and remind ourselves that we are the very dwelling place of God? I want to, I try to, because it normally helps when I'm especially, you know, when 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 you're dealing with life issues and you're like, okay, God's with me, God's watching this, that's helpful, right? Re really? Okay, because you guys do perform better on Sundays than you do the rest of the week, I promise. I, I do. It, it makes a difference when we know we have people watching us. It makes a huge difference. It's part of being a family. It, that, that's the value of this whole, of, of the relationship that God gives us in the church. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This indwelling process of the Spirit is an important part of the, of the gospel uh, and of this new covenant that comes through Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of of his glory. Uh, and I love how Paul describes that and encourages us as believers. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the very seal, it's the promise of the eternal hope that we have that although we have not taken possession of our presence with God in 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 this momentary life in this in our in our uh, finite existence here on earth, although we're not in heaven and we're not in that very moment of seeing him as he really is, we have the hope and the promise of that future glory sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's the hope we have in the gospel. That's, that's this promised covenant that we are looking toward. The second key thing that we see in this is that he says, I will forgive their iniquities. I will remember their sins no longer. I'll forgive their sins. Remember, as we're going through this process with Israel, what is he reminding them of in Jeremiah? all of their constant and repetitive failures. Their rejection of His law, their, their constant per, uh, proclivity for sin and, and how they pursue it. 
fact, I believe, if I remember correctly, one of the passages of Jeremiah says, you're a teacher of, the sin, of this stuff. You actually are showing other nations how to do it better. That's the very heart of what he's addressing for them as a nation. In Acts, we read in, in chapter 10, Acts 34, Peter's preaching, and he's addressing this issue of forgiveness of sin. He says this, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from uh, Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, uh, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. The very picture of the gospel that is presented by Peter is that all nations, anyone who believes and, and, and accepts him, excuse me, that, uh, that, that fears him and does what is right is acceptable in his name, and those who believe on him will receive forgiveness of sins through him. This very picture of the gospel is that, that in this new covenant is that God's going to solve all of the sin issues of the Jews at this time and the nation that's coming after him. Remember back in chapter 30, that, that Jeremiah was from the Lord was saying, your, your wound is incurable. You cannot be healed. There's no hope for you. You're beyond repair. That's how bad you are. And yet he says, I'm going to come and heal you. I'm going to come and restore you. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to restore all these things. In fact, how great is that restoration? How complete is the restoration? Look at Jeremiah 31, verses 2 through 6. I was reading this, and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, two weeks ago, I've been waiting to share this with you guys for two weeks, which is, kills me. Jeremiah 31, 2. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you uh, I have loved you with everlasting love. Therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again I will build you and you shall be built O virgin Israel. Again you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountain of Samaria and the planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when the when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, arise, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Did you see what he called them as a nation in verse 4? He called them virgin. O virgin Israel. 
What, what has God been telling them about their relationship with him throughout all of Jeremiah? That they violated that oath, they violated that relationship. They have been anything but a pure and wholly devoted, uh, relationally pure virgin to God the Father. They violated that constantly. And he says, I will build you up. I'm going to restore you back to a perfect relationship with me, complete and perfect relationship with me. It's incredible. Paul describes this a little bit in Romans chapter 6. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Or you can read it on the screen. It works out really well. We have both options. You know why I ask you to turn in your Bibles? is because there's times where it's really helpful if you read it in here. When you go back to read it again later, I don't know if you guys find that, but every now and then I'll be in a different Bible. I have a couple different translations that I'll, that I'll work from. And I'll be like, man, I know it's on this page. But it's because I'm in a different Bible, I'm somehow reading right over and I miss it. So it's always good if, if you have the one that you're going to read on a regular basis open. Romans chapter 6 says this in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, we've heard it said, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but I've heard this, this comment said that uh, God didn't come to make uh, bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Isn't that a great statement? Do you believe it? And, and here's what I mean. Sometimes when we look at the gospel, we look at our lives, uh, we, we can get into this mindset where we think, well, if, if you can just help me be a little bit better at this area, if, it, you know, I'm not that far off. I, I actually have an illustration. Um, I need a volunteer this morning, possibly somebody that's not, doesn't feel real confident at cornhole. I know you guys are like, what in the world? I have my cornhole thing set up over here, but I need a volunteer. I need somebody to toss some bags for me. We're going to do a little exercise because I, I, need, I need you to throw a cup. We're going to see how you do, and then we're going to help improve your skill with, with my expertise, which may not help, but we're going to make an effort to make it better. Uh, and then we're going to compete, you, you, we're going to actually have something, one else, compete against your score and see how they do. So, do I have a volunteer? Somebody to come up and throw a couple of bags. Just need anybody. All right. So, how many years have you been playing professionally? Two years, okay. 
All right. So these all four years, you're going to get to take all four shots, and our goal is to get all four of them into the hole. From where? Well, you, why don't you pick a spot where you right feel here? comfortable? <laughs> sure. All right. Wherever you feel comfortable, let them go. All right. You. Now, if you miss at that distance, we've, it may illustrate my point even better. All right. There's one. Now, if she gets all four, we're moving her back. I just want to say, ha, missed one. All right, so you are a three out of four. Okay, we can give her a hand for that, I believe. That's pretty awesome. So let's take a, let's take a step back. I'm going to have you do it again. We're going to see if she improves with a little distance. But this time, I'm going to give her some professional help. All right, so you go ahead and you toss them over here. And let's see how you do. Okay. All right, keep going. I'm helping you, helping you out. That's amazing. Did you guys see this? Unbelievable. Every time. That's incredible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's very good. Now, here's the problem, and I believe that this is what we think sometimes. Sometimes we think the gospel is actually God coming in and helping us score so that we are win, so that we get, we're doing it better than everybody else. But I want to show you what I think the gospel is really like. I have a different contendent, contender. We're even going to set him up a little bit closer so that he's got a better chance. He's got four. When you're ready. Anytime. We have a clock. There's food. All he's got to do is toss him, and I can get him in the hole. You guys saw, I'm pretty good at this. What does he need? He needs something. Yeah, he needs life, right? I think sometimes, you guys, as believers, we see this passage, we see this death to life, we see baptism where we die to, our, to this old person. We see ourselves as God just adjusting a few sin issues. We see him as, as taking what he's made, which is a great thing, and he makes it a little bit better. But what the text says is that he takes something that's dead that has no life, and he makes us perfect and complete and acceptable to actually be in his presence from death to life. And we know that in Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us, that he's in the process of doing that, that he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I get the tension. I understand that we exist in a tension between the perfected life of our eternal existence with God for those who he has redeemed and the, the, the physical struggles that we have on this earth dealing with life and dealing with, with the, 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 the pressures of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. I get the tension. But we've got to have a clear view of what the covenant is. We've got to understand what the gospel is. God says that he, when he redeems us, makes, takes us from death to life. And that's who we are. That's what this covenant is. That's what God is doing. Now, Paul, in Romans chapter 6, he actually encourages us on how to view this reality. And I love this. Look at what he says in chapter 6, uh, verses 12 through 14. 
So we just heard this greatness of how God has redeemed us. He's, he's, we've been baptized with him in his death. We've been raised again with him into life. And he says this in verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul, Paul says, this is all true, but don't present yourself to sin. Don't, don't abandon your life to just do whatever you want. He, he gives us actually a picture of what that tension is. We know that we're alive in Christ. We know we're new in Christ. So we're supposed to contend for that reality. We're supposed to live in that reality. So I know I have a particular uh, propensity to be angry at people on the road. It's a reality, just how it goes. So how do I adjust that? How do I deal with that? Some of you are like, well, just don't drive. Well, that doesn't work. I think I get just as mad at people when my bride's driving as when I'm driving, so that doesn't help at all. How do we deal with that? That's a challenge for me, right? There's opportunities for me to address that issue. I know it going in now. I've been, I've been intentionally working on how I deal with those kind of things. I leave earlier than what I normally need to, so I can relax. There's times I'll take a different route. I'm like, oh, all the crazy people live over there. That's a joke. I don't, that's not true, but um, it, 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 I'm trying to make adjustments to that pattern to deal with that issue and other issues in my life. I want to make sure that I'm not presenting my members, my body, to be tempted to be in those places. And, and let's, again, we can go into the details of all that thing. There's legalism, there's, there's license, there's a broad scope of all of these realities. And, and we're all going to wrestle with them depending on who we are and where we're at in life. But I think the very first thing we've got to understand about the gospel is how significant, how complete the restoration God designed is. You do not do anything to make yourself right before the Lord. I don't bring anything to the table to be right before God. It is all done in the gospel. It is all done in Christ's work on the cross. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of this amazing truth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, says this, Therefore, brothers, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great, high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us that we have a confidence in this hope, there's a, there's a process in which, in which we can engage in this confidently with, with joy and anticipation of great stuff. But I love that he reminds us of the cleansing, the, the purity that comes in the believer who says, Lord, you're right, I sinned, I'm confessing this is sin. 
1 John 1, 1.9 tells us he cleanses us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sin. And he says, remember that God is faithful. The one who did this is faithful. And then he challenges us to spur one another on to good deeds and to not to, do not neglect meeting together. Do you know one of the greatest uh, processes, one of the greatest tools for me to stay focused on what I need to stay focused on is when I'm interacting with other brothers and sisters who are saying, let's get after it. That's one of the greatest encouragements I have is the church. Right? I mean, don't you guys love it when your brother comes up alongside you and goes, hey, let's go and witness to our neighbors. Some of you are like, ah, keep them away from me. It's encouraging when that happens. I, those are the things that I need. Hey, have you read this in the text this week? Look at what the Word of God says about who we are. Man, I've been bothering people all week with this. Did you see what he says in Jeremiah? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's encouraging. It helps us be focused on the right stuff. We can encourage and spur one another on to good works. It's part of, it's part of what God's given us as a body of believers. We're supposed to have faith in Christ and believe that he's done these things and trust him in that moment. I love what Jeremiah does. The Lord says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, look at the end chapter 31, 30, verses 35 through 37. He's encouraging the nation of Israel. He's reminding them of what this reality is. And he says this, Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for, the light, for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it, its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. What is our confidence in this covenant that he's promised? Israel's confidence in God fulfilling this promise? He literally says, if the sun and the moon and the stars fail to continue to do what I've commanded them to do, if they cease to exist, then this promise will cease to exist. He says, if you can measure the heavens or explore the foundations of the earth, it sounds a lot like Job language, doesn't it? God says, if you can get to the, to the extent of my knowledge, the extent of my greatness, my control, my sovereignty, my sufficiency, if mankind can get there to where they can stop all of those things, or if any of the things that I'm in control of no longer exist, in this picture that you, I mean, let's just be honest, we think we're figuring out the universe, don't we? I mean, we're getting bigger and bigger telescopes, and we're shooting radio signals out there to find the intelligent life. I wonder if God listens to that and goes, nope, still not intelligent communication. I just, you, the, the, as mankind, we're pursuing these very things to try and find the answers to them. But God says his covenant is based on his faithfulness, and if any of this ceases, then you should be worried about his promise. Do you believe that? Do you believe it when the news comes up? 
You believe it when it hurts to get out of bed? You believe it when people treat you poorly? Do we believe this about God? Do we believe that his gospel is so complete that he's changing us from life to death? Do we believe that we can trust him so intimately that he will fulfill this promise that, that the stars and, and the, the sun, the, the patterns of those things, the, the fact that he holds them in control, uh, that he cares for and manages all those things. Do we believe him that he is who he says that he is? We need to wrestle with that reality. We need to ask and consider the fact that it's very possible we're seeing our salvation as just being a, an improvement on our ability. And we don't see God's work in, in transforming our hearts as being bringing people from death to life. Israel's promise from God was that he was going to restore them and rebuild them from great devastation, from complete destruction, and, and, and him sending them out as exiles. He was going to restore them to his nation, and he called them O virgin Israel, I'm going to restore our relationship to perfection. And in that new covenant, you and I, through Christ, are invited into a similar, perfect relationship by God as only he can do. I've been wrestling with this all week saying, man, this is so amazing. It's so incredible. Do I believe it? Is it changing how I live? Is it changing how I respond to life? You guys know I use car stuff just because it's super safe, right? Because we're all sinners on the same level when we get into our cars pretty much. Not that sin has a level, but you know what I mean. We were driving home. My bride and I snuck away for a, a trip out to Libby over the weekend, just the two of us. And we went and saw my family, so it wasn't really just the two of us. So anyway, um, but it was a nice trip. But on our way back, we got into Sandpoint. And as we're coming up over the, over getting ready to go onto the bridge to go across the lake, uh, all the traffic stops up. So it's prepare for delays. People are spinning around and driving, and we're chatting, having a great time. We get a little bit, a little ways down there, it starts going. You know, you realize traffic's moving. They've got flaggers. It's a one-lane road. You know, great time to do that on a Friday after, or Saturday afternoon. Beautiful, that planning, amazing. We're down there, and the right turn lane opens up only. Turn lane opens up. You guys know what happened, right? Whole bunch of people bomb into the right lane and go driving down and stack up all the traffic up ahead of us. My bride and I had a great 30-minute conversation in that window. It was awesome. Like, I could get mad at these people. Like, I have the ability. But it was, it was not there this week. Why? Happens many other times. We were talking about the Lord. We were actually talking about this passage for part of the time. It was just like, this is so cool. Later on, we get a little farther down, traffic stopped up again. Somebody wasn't paying attention, rear-ended, had, had a fire truck blocking the road. I mean, it was great. It was, this, it was probably a 40-minute exchange that we had in that, in that time, and, and I had things I was planning on doing when I got home. I had people scheduled to come over to my house to do, you know, we had stuff to do. And we're focused on, 
I've been wrestling with all week. Do I believe that the God of the universe who holds the stars and the sun in place is the author of my salvation? Do I believe that he's the one making this covenant? Can I trust him in this moment? I've been wrestling with that all week. Does it matter about our time? Does it matter about our schedules? Does it matter about being stuck? It does. It makes a difference. And I want to challenge you to wrestle with that this week. Do I believe that this very God of the create the creator of the universe is the one that has promised my salvation? It's who I place my hope in. It's who I am confident in my eternal destination. If only cornhole was the activity we had to do to get to heaven, we could probably get better at it. But God's in the business of taking dead things and making them alive. That's a glorious truth that you and I, as his children, get to celebrate and joyfully walk into our maturity with. We get to walk into old age and someday into the hands of the Father with that hope. Do you believe it? Is it changing how you live today? That's really the question that we need to wrestle with. Yeah, I'm out of notes. So we're going to go eat. Let me pray for us. We're going to close with a song, and then we'll go and eat. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this family. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm our hearts with who you are this week, that we would see you in every, everything, in our conflict, in our joys, in our sorrows, in our woundedness, in our victories and in our failures, Lord, that we would see you, that we would worship you, that we would trust you. God, when we see fear or anger or, or the, the lust of the flesh, the, the desires of the eyes, the, the um, deceitful pride of life, Father, I pray that we would exercise First John and we would confess those things and we would turn to you and, and that, Lord, you would remind us of the truth of who we are in you, that you would remind us of our new life. And Father, where we are presenting our members to sin, I pray that your spirit would convict us. The, the areas that, we're, that we are compromising in, in our own personal lives, Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us of those things and that, God, we would have such relationships, we would build such relationships with our friends here in this family that we would be able to find the support to spur one another on to the good deeds that you have called us to do. Pray as we consider what it means to be your church, to come boldly before the throne of grace, to be a family together, to be your body, to follow your headship, Lord. I pray that you would guide us in our actions, you would guide us in our words, and Lord, you would help us to see who you are, a glimpse of your glory. I, I, I know that you present yourself in your word, and, and, and yet, Lord, we don't pursue it like it's a, it's a direct link to you. We don't pursue it like it's you in person speaking to us. So give us that heart. Give us that passion. Light that fire in each of our lives. We pray, Lord, that all that happens this week 
that you would take the glory and that you would lead your church to be about your kingdom purposes in everything. In your name, amen. All right, stands with us one last time here before Sunday potluck. I see the work of your hands Galaxies spin in a heavenly dance Oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming And I hear the sound of your voice All at once it's a gentle and thundering noise Oh God all that you are is so overwhelming. I delight myself in you, captivated by your beauty. I'm you've done is so overwhelming that I delight myself in you in the glory of your presence I'm overwhelmed I'm overwhelmed by you God I run into
Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Lord. I pray that you go with us today and bless this time and let us live for you this week. Amen.